Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 209 and this episode is with the Director of Physio and Performance at Rehab for Performance, Matt Konopinski. Matt came on and we spoke about the transition from employee to business owner. We talked about working privately with players and the comparison to working with players at clubs. We talked about working with athletes alongside general pop um, clients or members. And then we touched on the ACL rehab process. So the difference from working at a club to private, some key elements of the rehab process, where jumps and plyos fit in the process as well. And then what to focus on around prehab for ACL too. So plenty covered in this episode and it was great to catch up with Matt. It was obviously not that long ago that we were at our event at the facility rehab for performance. So if you've not checked out the facility in the gym that the guys have got set up, go on socials, probably Instagram's your best one. Go and check it out because it's an absolute quality facility. I think they've also done a a YouTube video showing the facility and some of the work they do there. So go and check it out um, over on socials. Just before we get into the podcast, I just want to mention some of our upcoming events. We've got our next event on Thursday, the 27th of October, 6 till 9pm at West Bromwich Albion. We've got the Director of Medical, Tony Strudwick, Head of Academy Sports Science, Tom Page, and also First Team Sports Scientist, Matt Bickley. They're all presenting for us at that event. There are tickets still available for that one, and there's plenty been snapped up already. So go over to the website to check out tickets for that event. We've also got an event coming up in the Northwest. So on Wednesday, the 2nd of November, 6 till 9 p.m. at Bolton Wanderers at the University of Bolton Stadium. We've got reader in sport and exercise biomechanics at Salford University, Dr. John McMahon. Alongside first team sports scientist Everton, Jason O'Keefe. They're both going to be presenting for us as the podcast goes out. Early bird tickets are still available for that event, so make sure you go and check those out and snap them up for the early bird price. And then finally, as well, don't know whether this one will be announced on socials just yet, but we've got a South Yorkshire event. We are going back to Rotherham United, the New York Stadium Rotherham. Thursday, the 3rd of November is this event, 6 till 9pm. We've got senior performance coach at Rotherham United, Brent Dickinson, alongside head of sports science at Sheffield Wednesday, Rob Lee, both presenting on that one. And again, early bird tickets are available for that event. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab, and you'll be able to purchase tickets for any of those events. And just a heads up to any of our community members, make sure you go onto the community, click the network meeting news tab, and that will give you a discount voucher or discount code for the events that gets you some money off if you come into the events live as well. So go and check that out, footballfitfed.com. I've got to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, Val Performance. Val systems are used by more than 1,600 of the world's most elite sporting teams, high-performance academies, strength and conditioning departments, and personal trainers to accurately measure human movement, performance, and rehabilitation. Enhance your training with objective data and measure what matters most with an integrated suite of human measurement technologies for when accuracy matters most. Visit valperformance.com for more information on Vald Systems. Also, massive thank you to Hytro Training. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hytro have developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-to-one physio or rehab. Hytro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. Whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool that allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. Check them out at hytro.com, that's H-Y-T-R-O.com, or you can email warren, warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. 
And just finally, I want to say a huge thank you to Rezzle just before we dive into the episode, some incredible work that they've got going on as well. And let's get into episode 209 with Matt Konopinski. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 209. I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Matt Konopinski. Matt, how are we? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on, Ben. No problem at all, mate. Now, I've not mentioned your role. So, Director of Rehab and Performance at Rehab for Performance. Top, top facility that I was very lucky to visit recently. Um, Matt, that's obviously what you're, you're doing currently, which we'll dive into in a second. But can you just sort of take us back a few steps, give us the career so far? Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is physiotherapy. Um, so my early days were based in the NHS um, for about four years. And while I was doing that, I was working part time in various academies um, at Leeds United and then um, later on at Barnsley. Um, and then my first full-time role was with Barnsley um, and their under-18s um, many years ago. And um, I, I ended up as um, the um, lead first-team physio at Barnsley before um, getting the opportunity to join Liverpool. So I joined Liverpool in 2008, 2009. Um, and... I initially joined them looking after the reserves at the time. So it was before the under 23s had uh, come into fruition. Um, but spent most of my time there as the senior rehab physio working with the first team. Um, and I was there for 10 years, ended up as head physio there. Um, and I just felt like I needed a bit of a change at that point. So um, I then went to work with England for a period of time. Um, before joining Stephen, who I'd worked with previously at Rangers. Um, and then COVID hit. Um, my family hadn't gone to Scotland with me, so um, I wasn't prepared to live away from them. So, so I was like, made a decision to, to, to leave. Um, and um, it was that point where I had a decision to make in terms of what I was going to do. And I'd always had this pipe dream of, of what rehab for performance has become, but never really had the um, the drive, I suppose, <clears throat> or the need to do it because I was always in, you know, full time employment, and um, it was <clears throat> it's a big move to do it. But um, yes, myself and my co founder Chris Morgan, we sat down and I was like, look, if we're ever going to do it, I've got an opportunity to do it now. Um, so whilst spending a period of time lecturing at Salford, which I also really enjoyed, um, over a period of about 12 months, Rehab for Performance came into, into the fold, and this is where we are now. And then how close, when you initially sort of had them ideas in your head, how close was it to what you do? Was it pretty much... Ooh, yeah, so it's, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't too far away. Uh, you know, our... Uh, our real sort of like vision was to try and bring a football club out into, into more of a community setting. So we wanted to have, um, you know, really sort of like high end expertise, multidisciplinary team, one stop shop where people can come in and get directed and signposted to the right place. I think, and, and also be able to do it in, in what feels like an elite environment, you know, so somewhere that, most people don't ever get access to um and one of the things like we really felt was that people don't really often know where they should be going so do i need to be working with a physio or do i need soft tissue or do i need to see a strength and conditioning coach do i need to see a sports medicine consultant you know who, who should i really be at this 
be with at this point in time or do I need to go and see a specialist and I, and I think no disrespect because they do an amazing job and they have to have so many hats on but I think GPs don't really know where people need to go a lot of the time as well when they've got a neuromusculoskeletal injury um so that's where we where we sit so um we have general population coming in here we also have elite athletes coming in here and everything in between um and for me it's it's allowed me to work with different sports as well um because you know i was you know 18 years or so just working in professional football um so it's been it's been really really interesting for me from that perspective yeah, I've got to say, anyone that hasn't seen the sort of setup and um, what the, the guys have got going there, it's a super, super impressive facility and some great work being done there as well. Matt, in terms of the team now, you've sort of mentioned about maybe some of the reasons people might go to your facility, but in terms of the team and team members, who have you got over there now? So we've got Alan Jordan is our strength and conditioning coach. Um, I think Alan's been on your podcast before. He has. Um, so he's uh, got a background in Game Changer and working as strength conditioning coach for Liverpool FC women's and Everton women's teams. Um, we have a sports and exercise medicine consultant, uh, Nigel Jones, who is chief medical officer for British Cycling. Um, he also has a stellar background in rugby um, as um, head of uh well, he, I think his title was first team doctor for, uh, for England rugby. Um, and he's also worked with uh, multiple um, uh, national clubs as well. Um, also worked at Liverpool. Um, Joe Gibson is our shoulder physio. Um, for those who haven't heard of Joe, she's an internationally recognised upper limb specialist. Um, and then we've also got soft tissue therapists so we got phil mcdonald and paul tramarco work here backgrounds in um british cycling um and um soft tissue for the premier league refs respectively um and we have uh, some subcontractors as well who work part-time for us as well um so paul squires scott mccauley also from a footballing background Brilliant. So people are in safe hands. <laughs> awesome. How's it been for you, Matt, in terms of going from um, employee to business owner? That has been a steep learning curve. <laughs> um, because, you, you know, for, for on, on the one hand, it's been challenging because I'm delivering 24-7 as well as having to, you know, manage the business. Um, and that is that is a sort of like very different um, role to just managing your team as well. So, you know, a lot of us within sport will be looking after a group of uh, professionals and, and managing them, but you're not actually having to manage, you know, the accounts. Yeah. Um, make sure sort of like the gas is being paid and, you know, um, all sorts of things. And uh, at the moment, you know, the facility is growing, but it's not grown to the extent where if something breaks, you just get sort of like the maintenance um, to come in and sort it out. It's like, right, that's broken. So I've got to fix that. <laughs> um, you know, the cleaners haven't come in today, so we're going to have to clean. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is very challenging, but it's been, it's been brilliant to sort of like have that insight into, you know, into owning and running your own business. Um, and it's certainly, um, improved me from you know business management perspective and, and management of, of, of people and individuals um so it's been it's been challenging but a really good challenge i think anyone that has any sort of business will say that a lot of the lessons come from experience don't they and something you have to learn pretty quickly yeah i think so and, and it's expectations as well and um you know, what's realistic expectations as a, as a business owner. And um, it's uh, it, it's certainly, a, and, and, you know, in this, the environment we work in as well, it's it's making sure that everything's right in terms of like, like, like the, the legislature and, and lots of other bits and pieces as well. Um, so for, for us to have a, a doctor working here, you have to be CQC registered, which means essentially you're, 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 you're like a mini hospital, but... Mm. 
to, to qualify for that, you have to have all the policies of a, of a hospital as well. So it's, wow. it's, it's just, um, it's just insane in terms of the amount of, uh, of paperwork and background stuff you've got to do to, to get that over the line. But yeah, I bet. All good. And then, and how, well, you know, we're, we're all the better for having, having someone like Nigel here, you know, so that, that raises the profile of the organization, but also, you know, enables us to just refer sideways rather than have them to refer out of the business. And you can have those conversations, you know, and those, um, you know, th th those discussions and case discussions within your team rather than it having to sort of like be outsourced somewhere else. Yeah, I imagine for the team as a whole, that's so beneficial, but also for whether it's a player or, or a client coming in, that one-stop shop is just ideal, isn't it? That's what they want. They want to go into one place and get whatever it is sorted. And um... Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, they, they want to feel like um, what they're going into replicates the environment they're used to. A, a lot of um, athletes are coming in here and, and the environment is superseding what they're used to. Um, so... It's 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 really good from that perspective. So yeah, it's the, the support staff are integral, obviously, to to everything that goes on. And how do you find having the professional athletes alongside your sort of general population? Do you know it's it's actually it, it, it's actually really good. And again, it sort of it just epitomizes our vision for for what the what the place was. It, I mean. You know, you've been in here. The, the facility is predominantly a gym. We have some consulting rooms at the back, and you know, and, and they get used. But um, we're not. But we're not a gym, so we don't have like you know, I don't know. A small gym might have sort of like forty or fifty people in at any one time. We don't have that. So you might have two or three elite athletes in here and a member of the general population. Or it, it's it. So it, it's very private, and you know. I think the same for the general population. They can come in here and, and feel like it's private, and you know that they're not going to get um, that they're not going to get any sort of uh, bother from anyone. It, it's the same for the professionals. So it actually, it, everyone's very respectful of each other as well. I think so. Yeah. It's actually nice, and there's and and there's interaction between you know the elite athletes and the general population, and it's just like it's it's really organic and really nice nice to see. Yeah, that's brilliant. I was really keen to ask that from your, all your experience and time at clubs to now working in this private facility away from a club. Um, what has been the difference for you into, from the play, maybe from the players' perspective? Like, would you see a, a change in the players' maybe attitude or is there anything different in terms of working with players in that environment? I think you take yourself out of the political situation that is present in the club. So, you know, the, the, there's always obviously some element of politics going on in any organisation, but but when when the player comes away from that and, and sits here, everything associated with that, the multiple stakeholders that can influence what's, what's happening, it's almost like it's a bit of a... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I suppose it's it, you just removed from it, so it, it it makes it easier for the athlete or the player, and it makes it easier for us as well. What we do make sure that we do is have really transparent and open uh, dialogue with the clubs all the time, so that they have like full eyes, full overview in terms of what the individual's doing all the time, um, and that's really important to us that we kind of bolt on with the medical department, <clears throat> with the sports science department or the organization that the individuals come from rather than being seen as something very separate. Um, so I think it's less challenging in terms of the players come away from any politics that might, might, might be present at the club. And look, that might be nothing. You know, that might be nothing. It might just be the player just wanting a change of scenery, you know, yeah. and more often than not, that's, that, that, that's a lot of what it is. Um, but also us being respectful of the fact that, you know, we're here to support the club, not to, you know, not to um, upset the apple cart at all, but actually just 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 support the club and support the, uh, the individual. Um, I think one of the, uh, one of, from a personal perspective, coming out of um, a football club environment, 
and working with the general population, a lot, a lot of the professional athletes will be sat, will be here for half a day or a day and almost like residential here. Um, but aside from that, you have an individual coming in for an hour and used to spending half a day or a day with, with one person to then have to sort of box that all into one hour. That is a big challenge. So for me, initially, my expectations of what I should be delivering and also then what should be coming back to me were well in excess of what was realistic. Yeah. Um, because I'm seeing that person for one hour and then, you know, the rest of the week that they're, they're not with you. Um, so I've definitely had to sort of like reframe what's, what's, what's realistic as well. Yeah. I actually spoke to Dave O'Sullivan about this because we were talking about sort of club to private sort of comparison in terms of the rehab. And he was talking about like all the conversations or, um, even just like passing by of a player that you do day to day, little interactions even throughout the day where you could have with players that's suddenly taken away, isn't it? When you when you see them just for that short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny when you think of it like that, isn't it? Because you think, oh, private. I've got a lot more um, time with the player. I can. I'm one on one, but you're taking away all that. All that. Well, additional I think. Time. Yeah, for the, for the majority of like. You know that obviously we get some. We'll get some. We're talking sort of very specifically about football players here. We'll get some players who, who will come in and I'll see them for an hour or something. And um, and yeah, for sure that's different. But the, the majority, you know, are, are probably here for longer. So if you've got half yeah. a day, then, do you know what I mean? It's like it's like perfect and it's very concentrated and there isn't anything else going on. Um, it's just you, you just one to one there. So you know that's very different. But it's more. It's, it's more sort of like the, the, the general population coming in that has been the challenge for me in the sense where I'm thinking, well, you know, I should be doing this, 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 this. And, and, you know, it's like, I haven't got the time to do that. So you then have to prioritise and go for like, really go for the low hanging fruit. Yeah. So, you know, I'd say, I'd say they're, they're the things that I noticed the most about it. Um, and also like going back to what we said before, it's, it's not just purely focusing on, on delivery and, and, and the rehab. It's like, Actually, there's there's a whole load of other business stuff that needs to get done. Yeah, hundred percent. So with players coming out to you, I wanted to focus on. Obviously, we can dive into all sorts of different injuries and um, different elements for the podcast. But I thought it'd be good to focus. We're not touched on ACLs for a little bit of time, so I thought it'd be a good opportunity for that. So, yeah. just initially, when you're going through this rehab process of, of an ACL with a player. Again, just just last bit in terms of this comparison from club to private. But is there anything any main differences throughout a rehab process with a player of an of an ACL injury from private to club? Um, I suppose um, aside from the fact that you know you may or may not have the same period of time with the individual, um, you know, so. Speaking very specifically about about football, I suppose, um, and professional footballers, does does it does it differ a huge amount? I suppose, you know, at, <clears throat> we might get somebody coming in at various stages of their rehab. So you could get somebody who's come in and actually um, they've hit a bit of a wall. You know, they're, they're struggling with something. There's some complexity around what they're feeling, or um, you know. That they've, they've got pain in a certain area and they can't push on. Um, it, it could be that, or it might be actually, you know, somebody who's like at the very start of their rehab. So, you, you know, you're hitting the ground running. Um, and I suppose the, the other things are when you're in a club, you're always, you're always there at the very beginning, you know, you, you're there when the injuries happened and, and, and all the way through, whereas you miss that stuff. So as an example, you know, you might you might miss those interactions in terms of what the player's been told about their injury, you know, um, and um, what their attitude is in terms of their recovery, you know, and their mm. prognosis. Um, I, I suppose one of the most obvious things there is, you know, players players are always looking to get back as, as quickly as they can, you know. Um, so it's always this it's always this this race in terms of like you know. How, how quickly can I get back? You know, I want to do it in six months because I've seen so-and-so 
so do it in six months. Um, and and again, that 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 can be challenging because you know what what we know from from research is that yeah, essentially a hundred percent of people think that they're going to get back to the same level that they're at, irrespective of how quick it is. Um, but again, the the, the data doesn't back that up. The data suggests that, you know, it's anywhere between 60 and 80% of people that get back to the same level. Um, and then also we know that rehab will typically take nine to 12 months. Um, but also that will vary depending on the, the complexity of the injury. So we always, we always tend to talk about ACL injuries, but here we, we, we've re-termed it and just bracketed it all under complex knee injuries because there's so many subdivisions of what that injury could be. Um, yeah. You know, and, and 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 because you miss that, you miss those conversations around, right, what graft have you had? So, you know, is it realistic for your quads to come back in this period of time, given that you've had a bone patellar tendon bone graft? Um, probably not, you know, potentially, because we know it's going to take longer versus whether you'd had a hamstring graft. And then, you know, it's vice versa. If you, if you have a hamstring graft and your hamstring strength coming back in a certain period of time, and that's going whether there's any concomitant damage in terms of meniscus if you had a meniscal repair you know you might have had a hamstrings avulsion you know anything could have happened that is going to affect that clinical journey and and and, and your prognosis and when you're going to sort of like get through certain hurdles and um you, you you've often missed those conversations um so you know if if you've got someone who's coming in and it's already been framed that yet yeah, you're going to be back in seven months it's like okay right and what what do we what do we then do in terms of those conversations and what's realistic and um, you know the surgeon said I can run it's like okay you can run but you know actually have you got the capability to you know absorb force with with your knee you know um, have you have you achieved other criteria that we want you to achieve which mm. will mean that actually you know um, we expect that you, you, you can return to running without a stiff knee you know, because we're happy with the minimum amount of quad function that you need. Someone incoming that hasn't had those conversations, and it's been more a surgical opinion in terms of, right, okay, at eight weeks, you can start running, for example. Um, that's when you've got to, you've got to reframe stuff and, and, and engage with the player and, and make them understand your, your rationale behind where, where, where you want them to go, because we know that if they don't have that, then they're going to be running with a stiff knee. You know, they're not going to be comfortable. They'll likely reaffuse these sorts of things. Now, I mentioned at the start of the episode that we were over at Rehab for Performance recently for a networking event, and we held two Q&As. So with performance coach, Dr. Matt Taberner, and also head of Academy Sports Science at Everton, John McKeown, they both did a Q&A for us. We covered loads of great topics and you can access both of those Q&A videos on our online community. So if you're not already a member, go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab. And if you register there, it'll give you one month free on the community. So you can access both of those Q&As as well as over 100 hours of football fitness content. Q&As, webinars, presentations, extra podcasts. There's all sorts of content available on the, on the community. If you've not already had that free month, go and register for it now. After the free month is only £4.99 per month going forward. And you also get access to our members WhatsApp group, discount on our events, and you can connect with over 200 practitioners from around the world of football as well. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there and claim your free month. Let's get into part two now of the podcast with Matt Konopinski. Well, there's a couple of things off the back of that. I'm guessing ideally for you, in terms of that, that rehab process, would be for a player to come in as soon as possible to see you. But then also with that, you someone coming into an environment like yours you're removing a lot of external noise, aren't you, as well? Yeah. Um, that yeah. you might get at clubs. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and I think the caveat is, as well, is I'm, I, I suppose what I've done there, I've given it a couple of examples of how it could be challenging, but also, you know, it, 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 there's, there's more often than not, it's, it, it's not challenging because, you know, you've got like-minded professionals who have 
you know, who, who've sort of like set the the rehab pathway out properly, you know. Yeah. Um, so, 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 so it's not an issue. Um, but yeah, you're right. You, you, you're removing, you're removing that noise. Um, and you know, sometimes that's why someone might, might be coming to you, you know, um, but for that sort of reason. Um, but again, I think it's just about from our perspective, it's, it's making sure that you're there to assist them, but also assist the club and not, not become somebody who's actually, you know, siding with, 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 with one or the other, that, yeah. that, that, that doesn't work. And, um, unfortunately I'd say having, having spent a lot of time in football, you know, uh, I've, I've been in that position where there are externals that actually just, um, just confound problems and, um, compound is what I meant, not confound, compound problems because, they, you know, they they could be suggesting something that's 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 in complete um, contrast with with where you feel they, they they should be from a club perspective, and and that that just muddies the waters, makes it very difficult, can make relationships with the player very difficult. Um, we try and do the exact opposite here. Yeah, just because you've understood both sides of that, Matt. What would be your best bit of advice for both sides as well on on making that? interaction as smooth as possible because i know there'll be people listening that is probably either in a private facility or working privately with players but there also be a hell of a lot of people at clubs yeah that maybe their players are going out to different places so from you experiencing both sides what would be your top bit of advice on that and making those interactions smooth that's a good possible (laughs) i think from a club perspective i think more so, more so than ever, I think there's got to be an appreciation that players will seek external support at times, um, and not to feel like that is a is a is a in any way an indictment on your abilities. Um, I think a lot of players just like to have an external voice or go somewhere where like you said, it's a different environment and, and, and they're getting away some, from some of that, some of that, uh, that noise a little bit. So, um, and, and look, I've been in that position where I've definitely been like, you know, well, well why, why, why would they go there? Why would they go somewhere else? You know, they've, they've, they've got us here. Yeah. Um, and I, I've definitely felt that, but certainly now, um, you know, at the, at, the, at the top level, players are seeing people externally. So, I think within a club, you can either embrace that and try and facilitate it and, and, and have good relationships um, and maybe signpost athletes in certain directions to try and make the process as good as you can. Or, you know, the, the other option is, is to stonewall it. And then, you know, again, you just going to struggle in terms of your relationships with the players and that's going to make life very difficult um from a from a private practitioner's perspective without wanting to sound like i'm repeating myself again it really would be that one whereby think of yourself as a bolt-on service to the club you know you're 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 in addendum to their department you're not a completely outsourced separate entity um and you're there to to help them and support them as well as support the player um and not be not not be the sort of like the man in between or woman yeah yeah 100 that's great advice uh, i know you've probably touched on a few of these already but if we go back to the sort of acl rehab what would be some of the key elements um of that rehab process um that's that's a tough question because it kind of it depends on on where where you're at and uh, you know what stage what stage you're going through. Um, I think you know. I think as a as an overall theme, like quad is key. Um, you know, it's it it's your means to control that external knee flexor moment. Um, and without your ability to do that, you know, you're, 
potentially compromising knee function and future injury. Um, I also am a strong advocate here, and this is a this is a big bias of mine, but um, you know, I'm I'm a strong advocate of motion capture, um, and and I think that's I think that's because my my interest in it is fueled by the fact that you know we, we, we aren't we aren't killing it in terms of uh, ACL rehab you know we're I spoke about sort of like before in terms of quoting some numbers around um, returning to returning to professional uh, sport and, and and actually returning at the same level it, it's not happening um, and why is that and there's more evidence coming out at the moment from particularly from from, from SSC and Ender uh, King's work where they've they've found that for example if you're looking at uh, a drop jump and um, so they looked at athletes that had, had a contralateral uh, ACL injury after their after their initial um, and and they're seeing things like um, increased hip flexion um, increased knee flexion resulting in like longer ground contact times um so so there's a reduction in rsi but jump height's not changing so so the, the performance looks the same in terms of jump height um but because they're spending longer on the ground and they're exhibiting these kinematic features such as you know increased knee flexure um there's there's a clear difference there and you know i suppose ACL injuries happen within the first sort of like, you know, the ACL has gone within the first 40 milliseconds um, of your injury mechanism. So reactive strength around the knee is probably important, isn't it? And you're not, you might not be seeing that unless you're, unless you're looking at, at your kinetics and your kinematics. Um, similarly with unplanned change of direction, they, they, they found some similar things there um, in terms of um, trunk sway, um, and uh, and that that was increased in in ACL injured athletes that suffered a re-injury actually on the ipsilateral side. Um, but strength testing hadn't really varied between those that did suffer or didn't suffer a re-injury. So I think I think your motion capture can really provide more insight. Um, that's that you know it sounds sounds cheesy but i've said before it, it provides insight that's lost to eyesight so you you know you're looking at the performance like it seems the same um but actually you know the, the way that it's being done is not and and we we're seeing we're seeing sort of like differences in in athletes that are going on to sort of like suffer suffer issues you know um yeah so there there, there are a couple of things sort of like that i'd I definitely focus on within my rehab and, you know, again, caveat to that being we're fortunate here to, to be able to implement that. And again, that's, that's one of my biases and one of the things I really wanted to bring in here. I know a lot of these questions are tough because we've not got a specific sort of case study and timings and actual person that you're dealing with, but some, I mean, some of that was great. So that sort of information is absolutely perfect. Um, just tapping into some of the experiences, but in terms of like, plyos jumping landing generally what are the thoughts on that in that process and, and where do they tend to appear um i think again it, it it's it depends largely on like the clinical the clinical picture have you got a nice quiet knee um and and have you got have you got good quads function so if if, if you if you have then you can you can progress through your jump land stream, which might be, you know, have you got a symmetrical squat? And again, I'd be looking at kinetic data as well as kinematic data. Have you got a symmetrical single leg squat? You know, so both of those are going to require a good level of quadriceps strength and soleus strength. And then it's a gradual streaming from there in terms of the complexity of, of, of what's integrated um, and the knee effusion and the form is is going to be a barometer of whether the knee is coping or not. Yeah, real. And then just working through progressions from that point. Absolutely, yeah. So it's just it's just common sense progressions. Um, there there are certain criteria that we would use in terms of 
you know, initiating running, you know, um, and our, our preparedness to, to really progress into, you know, into that single limb loading and, 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 and pitch and what have you. Um, but I think, you know, again, a lot of it just comes down to, to basic principles. If you can control that external knee flexion moment, you know, then you're going to be able to, you're going to be able to land, you know, you're not going to land with a stiff knee. Um, now, obviously, you know, the requirements for decelerating um, and an acute change of direction are different to the requirements to just returning to running, you know, so that they will differ vastly and you have to make sure that you can break that down and, and fill in the gaps to transition to that level. Um, like I said, whilst always, whilst always keeping an eye on the knee and seeing whether it's coping or not. And if we're looking at from a, like a prehab perspective now, whether we, whether we like that term or not, um, it, it makes sense. Um, if we're looking from that perspective now on, on fit players and areas to sort of work on to hopefully um, avoid ACLs going forward, where would your focus lie with that? Okay, so, so this is looking at sort of like trying to mitigate ACL injury. Yeah. So, well, we've always touched on one, I suppose. So, so, so having, having really strong quads is going to help you because that's going to, that's going to allow you to, to cope with, um, cope with, with breaking, to cope with positions the knee might get into. Um, and, um, and mitigate internal knee varus so an external knee valgus force and, and cope with that. Um, so I think that's important. I think I'm a big fan of, of, of strengthening soleus um, and glute med. We know from a, from a change of direction perspective that they're the big players in terms of um, mitigating, um, you know, mitigating deleterious uh, ACL loads, you know, so that knee valgus load, they're, they're really important, although they don't cross the knee joint, they're, they're key players. So from a strength perspective, I think you need to be nailing that from a lower limb perspective. Um, trunk is really important. And, you know, I, I'd really sort of like, like us to get to a point where clubs are running a team through a uh, change of direction and getting the kinematic and kinetic data before the season starts and, and having not only having the benchmark and, and the baseline data of how players are performing those tasks, but also use it to um, inform programming. So, you know, for example, if somebody has got a lot of lateral trunk flexion, okay, right. So, you know, how are you going to target that? And what exercises are going to assist to try and mitigate that whilst their uh, final foot contact is um, playing out? Because we know that that is going to increase knee valgus moment. Knee valgus moment alone is not going to result in an ACL injury, but it's going to contribute to it. And that's important. Um, how is someone operating in terms of their penultimate step? You know, are, are, they, are they effective or their anti-penultimate step? Are they absorbing forces before then trying to change direction? And if they're not, well, how does that then marry with their isokinetic data? Are we seeing a discrepancy in terms of quads function there? Are they not strong enough or is it they're just not able to control that eccentric RFD? And that's where you need to focus your, uh, your exercises. So, um, yeah, ideal world. I'd like to see people running through uh, a change of direction, getting the mocap data and, and then, then just comparing that with their strength data and their jump data um, to get a real sort of like broad picture and where, where they're going to go to individualize um, the, the work that they want their players to do. Because for sure, you know, they'll be, they'll be, There'll be vast differences across players. Yeah, and I know, again, I know that's tough because we're talking broadly about essentially dealing with individuals, which is really tough to do, isn't it? But yeah, um, I think that, I think that's it. It's like, what's your rationale for your profiling? Um, and, you know, that's also going to, um, that's all going to be dictated by how much time have you got? 
um, yeah. and what have you. You know, we're really fortunate here to have marvelous motion capture technology, so we can run people mm. through uh, a change of direction very quickly and get through a squad very quickly. But unless you've got that, you know, if you're having to marker everybody up, that's going to take a long time. However, you know, you could choose to just do it with 2D motion capture um, with a 2D camera because we know that there's actually quite good correlation between between uh, what you're seeing kinematically and visually and, and the kinetic data and the forces that are occurring around the knee um, from, uh, from the group at Salford led by Tom DeSantos and uh, Paul Jones. So, you know, there's other options around there. That's for sure. Brilliant. Matt, I don't want to keep you all day, so I want to move on to some um, quick fire questions, if you don't mind, so you can get home and get some tea. Um, <laughs> so first one I um, always ask is, who've been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, okay, so I suppose your, your parents is always sort of like the easy one, isn't it? But um, in terms of uh, in terms of individuals, um, I'd say my my co-founder um, for R4P that I've worked with um, for a long time, Chris Morgan. Um, just in terms of uh, of that, that professional that professional relationship, um, but also our, our relationship as mates has been uh, has been integral over the years. Um, and then I think you know some 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 key players that I've worked with. Um, you know, um, certainly having been around, been fortunate to be around the likes of Steven Gerrard and what have you, um, certainly, you know, I can use him as my benchmark for my expectations of all players and all athletes. Um, so that's how, that, that's my benchmark and level for how I expect them to commit to, to rehab um, and how I expect them to treat myself and others as a person. Um yeah. Brilliant. What would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? I'd say my biggest strength is probably my biggest weakness as well, which is um, details. I'm a, I'm a details guy. Um, that can, that, 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 that's brilliant. And I think that's, that's why um, I've been really successful. Um, but it's also, um, you, you also have to, be realistic um and when you've got the details it's how you interpret them because you can get yourself wrapped up in in knots if you you know if you don't actually use that detail um and then consider it against what's actually relevant yeah 100 percent. and um if we were to go back a few years pre r4p pre liverpool what would be your top bit of career advice for yourself? Don't don't stress the small stuff. Yeah, don't 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 worry about what you can't control. Again, it's a bit cheesy, isn't it? But control the controllables because the the there's so many things that can contribute to to stress levels in a in an elite environment, and um, a lot of the time, I think you know complexities around that and you know we can really get ourselves stressed out when it's like you know what just just work on what you can change yeah and then finally i always ask about cpd um continued development and obviously working with a team like you do there i'm sure there's um, opportunities to learn all the time but do you take any sort of specific approach to that is it uh, reading research articles like how do you go about that I, I think, you know, I think find your area of interest, you know, and that will vary and then just sort of like have a dive into it, but don't feel like courses are the only way that you're going to achieve um, that information. Like you said, it, it, it might be an article you read, but also I think you can't benefit more highly than just spending time with people Um Again, you know, I've been very fortunate in terms of people I've worked with, but also when I've um, when I've worked with with externals myself um, and and spent time with them, um, yeah, just try and try and pull off as much as much information as you can from other people and just absorb that. So I think you know, 
if you've got an interest, look look at someone who's who's really good in that area or an organisation that's really good in that area and see if you can spend some time there. Um, I think that would be my bit of advice. Brilliant. Matt, that was quality, mate. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. No pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, just finally, if anyone's got questions for you, but then also um, about the about R4P as well, like where would you direct people? Yeah, so um, our Twitter and Instagram uh, feeds are R4P underscore UK. Um, the website is www.rehabforperformance.com. Um, and equally, you know, if anyone wants to direct anything my way, uh, my uh, my Twitter is is Matt underscore Cono. I think I'd have to double check it. Um, I'll put it. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, perfect. Brilliant, mate. Matt, thank you very much for your time and keep up the great work Good over there. Top man. Sorry? Thank you, mate. I said keep right, up the great work. Keep up the great work. Ah, will do. Yeah, will do. And you. Take Cheers, it easy, mate. Bye. Bye-bye. Big thank you to Matt for coming on the podcast. I've been hounding him to come on because I knew there'd be some great information and he well and truly delivered with that episode. Um, go and give Matt a follow over on socials. Also, check out the gym, Rehab for Performance. Go and give it a, um, give it a watch over on Instagram. And also, like I said at the start, I think they released a, a YouTube video recently of the facility. Um, really, really interesting insights into the way that Matt is working in the private sector and also the sort of takeaways he's taken from being at a club as well. Um, one of the first things for me were was when he referred to the job that he's doing as a bolt-on service to the club. And that's obviously understanding the role of practitioners in the club and also in the private sector as well. He also said about players will seek external support from times and it's, and it's not an impact on you as a practitioner. And I think that is important for coaches to understand because sometimes I think it can be easy to be taken personal. Whereas sometimes players just want that. They want that external person. They want to maybe go into a different facility and get that different voice from time to time as well. And then I love the phrase that he used. It provides an insight that's lost to eyesight. I actually think that can probably be taken in a number of ways and applied to another number of different scenarios as well. But kind of ties into a lot of things we spoke about recently on the podcast in that we don't want to be just be looking at one set of data or one situation. There's a lot of factors um, and context is really important around a lot of different areas and a lot of different ways that we work. So I think that's a really good definition, um, just tying into, into that and some of the conversations we've had recently. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please, as always, give it a share. I really appreciate everyone that's left reviews recently. If you do leave us a review, make sure you screenshot it, send it over on um, social media or on email, and I'll send you out a free ebook as a thank you. And just finally, a massive thank you to our sponsors, Val Performance. They're doing some incredible work um, in the industry, supplying pretty much every football team now, especially in the UK. So there's some great work being done by Vald. If you've not already got the Vald systems in place, go and check them out at Vald Performance. And then also a special mention to Rezzle because Meta actually re- released their official video featuring some of the new um, additions to MetaQuest and, and what they've got going on over at Meta. And Rezzle actually featured on that video. So there's some huge work being done over at Rezzle. Um, some great work being done in football, but in other sports as well. And it's great to see the guys doing so well. So go and give them a follow as well at Rezzle over on socials and keep up to up to date with everything they've got going on because um, there's always something new going on over at Rezzle and the team are doing incredible work. The likes of Thierry Henry um, are getting involved now as well. So it's being backed by a lot of great professionals. So go and check them out. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. We will be back next week for episode 210 and I'll speak to you then.